We'll wait for a second. You guys look beautiful today. Some of you anyway. Here we go. You ready? Lord, today by faith we declare that we are walking in the manifestation season. As your faithful remnant, we will house your very presence. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, and he has delivered us from all of our troubles and fears. We are no longer victims, but we are victors in Christ. We will not be deceived by the lies of the enemy, but we will give health, healing, and wholeness to the hopeless and those in despair. We will live under your anointing and see the revealed purpose of Christ in each of our lives. We declare your everlasting word on earth as it is in heaven. Let us pray. Lord, we praise your name and we ask that earth meet heaven, that heaven meet earth today, Lord Jesus. We pray that your word go out and do what you want it to do. We pray you would anoint our pastor this morning, Lord, and let the word, Lord Jesus, do its work. And we give you praise, honor, and glory in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Wow, so good to be here with you this morning. And uh, I am so excited about this service because I can tell every song that we sung, everything that has been going on, even from the drama, and I didn't even know that was going to be taking place. How, uh, what a surprise is that the Lord is setting some people up here today. Don't you love it when God sets people up? Because God's intimate, infinite love is so greater than what we can ever even comprehend. We cannot even fathom God's love. And God loves us so much. Uh, I have been studying on, of course, cleansing the temple and how Jesus went into the temple and, and he uh, drove out the, the money changers and the seats of them that sowed doves. And we've been on a kind of a mini series. I was following in that vein this week and the Lord just kind of put me on hold. And he just wanted me to preach a very simple, basic message to you today. And I know without a shadow of a doubt that God has brought people in here just to hear this message. You know, it's one thing when God gives a message and it goes out and it ministers to the whole congregation. And I know that we can get a little bit of something out of every message that is preached. But I love it when God brings people in and says, this message is just for you. That's how much I love you. I'm putting everything else on hold, and I'm going to talk to you today. I've been in those services where it was just meant for me. I've been in the local churches. I've been in camp meetings. And I was in a camp meeting one time, or in a, it actually was in a conference called Giants in the Making in, in um, Cleveland, Tennessee. And we were down there, and the room was full of people, about 1,000 people there. And all of a sudden, a man gets up to preach, and when he, before he preaches, he looks at me, points at me, and tells me to stand up. And there were three other men from Poplar Bluff with me, and he said, you got three other men with you, don't you? And I said, yes, sir. And he said, stand them up. And he did, and then he began to talk to us. And he loved us in such a way, and God edified us in front of that whole thousand group, told us about the church at Poplar Bluff. He read our mail. I love when God loves us that much, and he is such a detailed God. Can I have an Amen. I'll never forget the words that he said. He said, you a uh, pastor in a church and you just got there not too many years ago and it's beginning to grow and, and you've pulled out the nets, you threw out the nets and, you, and you're bringing in all these fish and your church is really growing, isn't it? And I said, yeah. He said, you're, about to, you're busting at the seams and at the time we were in that little old building. And then he looked at us and he said, but what good is it if you pull in all of the fish but your, breaks be, your nets begin to break and your ship begins to sink? He said, you got to go home and you got to do some structuring. And he gave us the detailed plan of what to do. That's how great our God is. And God loves us. But God's going to speak to some people here this morning in this basic message that he's laid upon my heart. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Isaiah 
chapter 1, verse 18 through 20. And while you're turning there, we will be taking communion today. We do that three or four times a year and sometimes more. Sometimes we do it also in different settings uh, outside of the church and different uh, ministries and different things of that nature. But we will be taking communion, so don't run off today. We want to give you the chance to be able to take the communion of the Lord at the end of the service. The Bible tells us in Isaiah chapter 1, starting with verse 18, Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you be willing and obedient, you shall eat of the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured with the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken this. Some of the most powerful words in that is, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken this. When God speaks, he means it. Amen? He means what he says. Father, again, we do pray over the service. Again, we do ask that God that you would kiss us with your grace, that heaven truly would meet with earth here today as Brother Zach had already prayed. We just pray a double portion upon the people and we pray, God, that your loving grace would draw all men to you today for you are the way, the truth, and the life and no man cometh unto the Father except through you. We give you praise and glory for God, what you're about to do and, and what you're about to accomplish in the lives of people in the name of Jesus and we give you the praise and everybody says amen. You know, in these familiar passages of Scripture, we see three acts of God revealed. We see a revelation, an invitation, and we also see a promise. We see a divine revelation revealed by the active response of God in reference to his chosen people, Israel. These Scriptures come on the heels of God's people being, uh, being rebellious against God. They were actually in a backslidden state. They were in a state of disobedience prior to our text because we see not only were they disobedient, but they were charged by God in chapter 1 of Isaiah to be inconsiderate, presumptuous, corrupt, even perverse. And some of the things that they were doing, I would not even speak behind this pulpit. They were truly a perverse people. And the revelation that is revealed to us in the scripture is one of infinite mercy. Here is a rebellious people, a presumptuous people, a corrupt people, an inconsiderate people, a people that is withdrawn away from God, and they are even caught into the perversion in their lives. And yet God calls them and he offers them forgiveness. Isn't that the type of God that we serve? This is a divine revelation of God's mercy in the fact that it was him that initiated the provision and the desire for reunion for his people in fellowship. It has always been a holy savior seeking for the sinful man, but it has never been the sinful man seeking for the holy savior. And can I tell you, it has always been in the offended God seeking for the offender man instead of the offended offender man seeking after the offended God. And matter of fact, we have said this many times before, it has always been a healing physician looking for the wounded man instead of the wounded man looking for the healing physician. It is God that was out looking for us. God is the one that has always initiated the desire for the fellowship with mankind. It was God that came down for, uh, looking for Adam and Eve in the garden after they had sinned while it was Adam and Eve that was hid in the garden because of their sin. Do you remember every morning God used to come down in the cool of the morning and he would fellowship with Adam and Eve and he would talk with them and have sweet communion with them. Well one day he come down and after they had sinned and he came down and they were not there to meet him because they were naked and they were ashamed and they hid themselves among the bushes and among the thrugs, thru, uh, thru, uh, shrubs and among the thorns and the thistles or whatever and there they were. They were hid out and God comes down and God says Adam where art thou? Now we know God 
God knew where Adam was at. But one of the things that God wanted Adam to know is he wanted Adam to understand where he was at. For the first time, he know he was hid from the presence of God. For the first time, he found himself alienated from the, from the presence of the Lord. So it was God that was in search of Adam and not Adam in search of him. The very God that was rejected, offended, and ignored is the very one that initiated the approach for fellowship. No wonder the Apostle Paul said in Romans 5 and 8, but God commended his love to usward and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we were unlovable, when we were, uh, when we were just in our filth and when we were out there in our sin, yet God loved us. Can you say amen? And it was God that come looking for us. When it should have been man to respond first to his failure by offering his regret and his repentance to God and desire to reestablish and restore his fellowship with the Lord, yet it was not the man that took the initiative. God, God was the one that offered his hand of mercy to us instead of us offering our repentance to him. When it should have been us come running to God after we had sinned, it became God come running to us. Aren't you glad of that? Aren't you glad that God come running to you? In Luke 19 and 10, the Bible tells us that the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus is looking for the lost. He's in search for the lost. He's out searching and looking and seeking for every lost human being on the face of this earth to come to know him and understand him as Savior of the world. In John chapter 1 verse 10 and 11, it reveals to us that even though that many refused and rejected Jesus Christ, it was him that came to the world, but it was not the world in pursuit of him. In verse 10 it says, and he was in the world and the world was made by him, but the world knew him not. And he came to his own, but his own received him not. He came down and offered himself on the cross to pay off the man's penalty, to become our substitute. And he wanted us to be saved and he came to the Jewish people, but the Jewish people rejected him. It was Christ that reached out to the world, but it was surely not the world reaching up to him. You have, you may have not come here this morning or today for the purpose of reaching out to Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, you may have not come here today for the purpose of even looking for Jesus. But let me ask you one simple question today because this is the question that I, I believe that is relevant to somebody here today. Even though you have not come in here seeking for him, what are you going to do with the Christ that has found you? You see, there's a big difference there, isn't there? You may not have come looking for him, but he's came looking for you and you're not here by chance and you're not here by coincidence and you didn't just happen to come on this Sunday morning to at this time to hear this sermon. I don't believe in chance and I don't believe in coincidence. I don't even believe in luck. I believe in divine appointment. And I believe that the Holy Spirit just set you up here today. Oh, you may think you're here for different reasons, but I want to tell you the reason you're here. The Spirit of God reached out this morning and somehow got you here and you're sitting on that pew you have no interest whatsoever maybe in serving the Lord but the problem of it is God's got interest in you and he's already speaking to you <laughs> and he's talking to you right where you're at already you're beginning to feel the pressure you're beginning to feel the conviction you'll be feeling the love of God you'll be feeling the drawl of the Holy Spirit and while I'm preaching here today at any given moment if you feel the drawl of the Holy Spirit to come to salvation in Jesus Christ to come to know him to come and repent of some kind of a sin you come running the aisle we'll just stop and we'll just pray for you because that's what this whole service right here is about this morning
morning. It's about who you who has lost, you who has failed, you who has flawed. Maybe you're bound by addiction. Maybe you're bound by all kinds of perversion. Maybe you're bound with different kinds of things that you think you can't let go of. But I'm here to tell you today, you have a loving Savior that's come into this place. He knows right in the seat where you're sitting. He knows exactly where he planted you in this service. He knows exactly what to say. He knows exactly what to do to get you to come. And I'm here to tell you, welcome to the family of God in advance because God's going to bring you to your place of salvation today in Jesus Christ. Would you give God praise for what he's doing here today? Hallelujah. Oh, God, we give you praise. Oh, none of us come looking for him. All of us has been in that place. But I want to tell you, I come to mock a woman preacher. I went to a church on a Sunday night. They said a woman was preaching, the pastor's wife. I thought, I got to see this. I had never heard of a woman preacher as a young man. And I thought, I'm going to go see this so-called woman preach. Not that I'm prejudiced. Not that I'm not a male chauvinist or anything like that. I had never heard of it when I was a little boy. Well, that morning, that, 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 when I was, that, that night when she preached, I went to the house of God being a teenage boy to hear this woman preach and let me tell you something she preached on hell and she made me feel the flames of it and I ran to an altar and gave my life to Jesus Christ God knows how to set you up can I have an amen in the house in John 15, 16, Jesus told his disciples, you have not chosen me, but I've chosen you every one of us that is saved you didn't choose the Lord the Lord chose you He's the one that initiated the response. Can I have an amen? And the only reason you came is because of the love and the mercy of him drawing you and wooing you and convicting you. I love it. Well, the, uh, the story of Saul who became the apostle Paul. He was on the road to Damascus. We all know the story. He has letters in his hands. He's going to go persecute the Christian. Matter of fact, probably even kill some Christians. He's going to have them thrown into prison. They're going to be beaten by the hands of Paul or Saul at that time. And he's thinking he's doing God a favor and I'm not going to get into all of the theological uh, uh, preaching on that but nevertheless he's on his horse and he's on his way to persecute the church to persecute the Christian to have them put into prison and all of a sudden a bright light appears so bright that he can't see and the horse rears up and he falls off of his horse and out of that light came a, a word a, 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 a voice and said Saul Saul why dost thou persecutest me and he said Lord who is it that I who is it that I persecute? And he said, I am Jesus Christ of Nazareth. That's who you're persecuting. It was there that we know that the apostle Paul had a conversion. It's called the conversion on the Damascus road. And he tells Saul, Saul, get up. And he becomes an apostle Paul. He tells him to go to Ananias for scales to show off, fall off his eyes. And he would show him everything that he had to suffer for his name's sake. But can I tell you here today, Saul wasn't looking for the Lord. He had no intentions. He had no desire. Matter of fact, he was going to stomp out the church. He was a persecutor of the church. But you see, unintentionally, he goes on a God's plan, not even knowing it. He goes down the Damascus road. He should have never went down that road because the Lord had an ambush waiting for him. The Lord was sitting there waiting for him. And when the King of Glory, Jesus Christ, stepped out, the radiance of his countenance captivated that area and the light so shined so bright that the conversion took place to Saul, the person 
persecutor who became the apostle Paul. And I'm here to tell you today, somebody has come into this house and God has put everything else on hold and he's got an ambush set up for you because the eternal God is about to bring eternal salvation to some people in this building. If you believe that with me, would you give the Lord praise? Oh, hallelujah. You see, it was actually God that sought us out and even revealed to us our need to be saved. The revelation of God in this scripture is twofold. Not only do we see the revelation of God's mercy, but we also see it is him that reveals man's sin to himself. If it wasn't for the revelation of God, you and I wouldn't even know that we needed to be saved. Adam would have never understood his lostness if God would not have said, Adam, where art thou? I want you to know, you and I would not even know that we needed to be saved if it wasn't for the revelation of God. If it wasn't for the call of God, our perverseness, our sin, we wouldn't even know that it was offensive to God. We are comfortable in our sin when we're sinners. It's who we are. We're unregenerated. But yet God comes along and his infinite mercy reveals our sin and our need of him. Man cannot just come to God when he pleases. He must come as the spirit strives and convicts and reveals to him his sin and his, reveals to him his need of salvation. Did you know that repentance is a gift of God? It's not something that you can just turn on or turn off. It's not something that you can just do. Repentance is a gift of God. Can I have an amen? Matter of fact, don't you understand that every time that you feel a need to repent, every time you feel a need to confess your fault, every time you need uh, feel a need to confess your sin, it is the Holy Spirit that loves you so much that he's revealing to you that which is about to separate you from God. And that grace period gives you time to come to God and say, oh God, I'm sorry for my sin. Even us that are Christians, it is the Holy Spirit that leads and guides us into old truth and he convicts us of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. You and I cannot even repent if it wasn't for the grace of God. Can I have an amen? I love the grace of God. A matter of fact, man would never look, seek, or even ask for salvation if it wasn't for the fact of God dealing with him, of God re- revealing things to him. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, you may think, well, I'm here because of obligation. I'm here because of, you know, I've been invited. It was a duty. I promised somebody. I'm here out of pressure. I'm, I'm here because, uh, you know, uh, mom drugged me here. No, you're not. You're here because the Holy Spirit's placed you here. Amen. It ain't, you're not here for the reason you think you're here. God used that method. God used that tool to get you here. But I'm here to tell you, you're here because God set you up. He wants you to hear the message of his infinite mercy towards you today. He wants you to hear him say, I love you. I want to save you. I want to free you. I want to forgive you. I want to break the chains that hold you in bondage. Them things that are destroying your life, I want to free you of it. That's what God's saying to somebody here today. I love it because the whole thing about the gospel, it's all about getting people saved. Can I have an amen? Christ has done found you and revealed to you your need of salvation or you wouldn't even be here this morning. You wouldn't just come to church just to be coming to church. God had a, God had a, 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 a stake in that. God was involved in that. Saints, every time you see a sinner come through the door, don't think that they're here by coincidence or by chance. They're here by divine appointment. God's brought them here and God loves them. God so loved them. Then after God gives his divine revelation, the next thing that he does, he gives them a divine invitation. 
He says, come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord. The word is full of invitations. As a matter of fact, the Bible says in Revelations twenty-two seventeen, the spirit and the bride say, come. Let him that heareth say, come. Let him that thirst say, come. And drink of the waters of life freely. I love the invitation in John 7, verse 37 and 38, where Jesus on that great day of the feast stood up and said, said if any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. For this, As the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. I like what Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30 says. Come unto me, all ye that are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, for I am meek and lonely in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. Aren't you glad about the divine invitations of God? I love what First Peter 2 and 9 says. It says, for God has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I like that word called, because that word called is a Greek word that has a twofold meaning. The first meaning meaning is to be predestined or chosen. Somebody asked me, do you believe in predestination? Absolutely, I believe in predestination. Because God has foreordained before the foundations of the earth, before it was ever even built or framed, for you to be saved. He and he has already, Jesus Christ was a slam, a lamb that was slayed before the foundations of the world, before God ever even made the world, before God ever even made man. But you think about how God had planned this thing out. Let me just preach to you just a little bit. Before God ever even uh, created the world, him and Jesus, the Son of God and the Holy Spirit got together and they had a council meeting, if you please. And God says, this is my idea. I think I'm going going to make man. I think, I think I'm going to make a world and I'm going to place a man on it. It's going to be a, a man and then I'm going to make a woman, but that man and woman's going to fail me. And when they fail me, they're going to end up uh, being alienated from me and I'm going to have to have a sacrifice in order to appease the judgment of God to where these people, my creation can be redeemed before he ever made anything. And Jesus said, well, I'll be that sacrifice. Jesus agreed to it. And the Holy Spirit said, well, I'll come along and bear witness of the truth. I'll draw them. I'll woo them. I'll love them. But you see how God detailed this thing? Before he ever created you, he knew that you would fail. But even though that you would fail, he already had a provision already lined out for you to be saved by. That's how much God loves you. Give the Lord praise for that. Amen. Hallelujah. Yes, I believe in predestination in that sense. But I also know that we're free moral agents and that we have a choice and God won't violate them. It's predestined for me to be saved. It's predestined for you to be saved. God says, if you want to be saved, nothing or no one can stop you from being saved. I've got a plan in motion that where nothing can rob you of eternal salvation through Jesus Christ. But the choice is yours. That's the problem. He gives us the ability to make the choice. And then the word called also here means to invite as to yell, come here. It is a word that means to beckon, to plead, to urge, to ask, to beseech, to beg, to compel. Do you not know what God's doing for some people here this morning? He's begging them. He's weeping. He's pleading. He's beseeching. He's yelling out, Susie! Johnny! Joe! Bobby, whoever your name may be. He's screaming, he's yelling, come here to me. It's almost like when Jesus went up onto the hillside of Jerusalem and he looked over and he seen the lostness of Jerusalem and he cried and he wept. 
bitterly, the Bible says. He said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I would have gathered you like a hen would gather her chicks under her wing, but you would not. Here's the people that would stone the prophets. They'd come and prophesy and preach, and they'd stone them. They didn't want to hear anything about God. They were rebellious. They were mean. They were murderers. And yet Jesus said on the hillside, said, oh, how I've loved you. How I have sent you prophets. How I have sent you word. How I have sent you messages. How I have given you divine opportunity. But you would not. And he wept over them. And here we are this morning with somebody in this building that has never given their life to the Lord. And God is beckoning. He's pleading with you. He loves you. He wants to save you. What are you going to do with him? That's where we're at this morning. Not only is the revelation twofold, but the invitation is too. Not only is it to whosoever will. How many knows that anybody can be saved? Every man. It's to the world. But notice that the invitation is one of timing. Come now. Let us reason together. Not only do we have to come as the Spirit draws and woos and, and, and reveals and convicts us, but there's also an indication that the invitation may not always be there. Matter of fact, Genesis 6 and 3 says, And the Lord said unto me, my, And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for he also is flesh. Notice this, that this scripture reveals that the grace of God can become so frustrated and his spirit eventually not strive with man. This is in reverence to Noah and the day of the flood. Now, how many knows that there was a grace period for over a hundred years and Noah was a preacher of righteousness? Do you realize for a hundred years Noah preached the righteousness of God? Hello? For a hundred years that man, around, man went around preaching righteousness. That's what the Bible tells us. But time came that the spirit no longer strived with man and the flood came. Only those that took heed to the message and got on the ark of safety was the ones that were saved. The Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews that Noah was the eighth person on the ark. Why is that important? Because he had three sons, three daughter-in-laws, that's six people, and he had a wife, which is number seven, and Noah was number eight. And Noah would not get on until his family was saved. Oh, isn't that a picture of a priestly man that is intercessory that wouldn't get on the ark and God wasn't going to send the flood till Noah was on the ark and Noah said, I'm not getting on to all three of them boys are in there and all three of them daughter-in-laws are in there and my wife in there. And when they got in there, the Bible says, and Noah, the eighth person, went into the ark and the Bible says that the spirit of the Lord shut the door to the ark. It was not shut by man. It was not shut by his three sons. It wasn't pulled up by ropes. But the Bible says that literally that the Spirit of the Lord shut the door. Then the flood came, and guess what happened? The people perished. The people were lost. Now, can you imagine what was going on prior to that? The Bible literally gives us indication that as Noah preached the righteousness, they mocked him. They ridiculed him. Oh, it's never rained before this particular time. Here's a man that says he's heard from God. He's building an ark out on the mist of dry ground. It's never rained upon the earth. Only the mist that come down, the dew and mist would come up from the earth to water the plants. 
They had never seen rainfall. And they're all laughing and they're mocking and they're ridiculing him. For a hundred years they'd done this. They'd sit out there as he was building that ark and they'd make fun of him and they would come up with jokes. And don't you know some of them were blunt and mean and hurtful. Look at the crazy man building an ark that's going to save the world. And, And they were mocking him. And all of a sudden when Noah finally got on the ark and the door shut, all of a sudden it began to rain. It got the people's attention. But the problem of it was it was too late. Hello? And it rained and it rained for 40 days and for 40 nights it flooded the earth and people were swimming and dog paddling and hanging on to logs. They were doing everything that they could. They were trying to save their children but to no avail and they were screaming, let us in, let us in. But the problem of it is man cannot bring you into salvation. Only the Spirit of God in the timing of God. So come now is what he says. It's an invitation of now. The ark is a type of Christ and those that reject the salvation of Jesus Christ and refuse to enter into covenant with him, the spirit may not always strive with you. The spirit may close the door of opportunity. Genesis 6 and 3 not only reveals to us that the spirit will not always strive with man, but he also reveals to us that man is flesh. What does that mean? It may not be God that closes the door to you. It may be your own flesh that closes your door. Amen? You may walk out of here today and fall over dead with a heart attack. You may walk out of here, get in a car and go down the road and someone hits you and you may get killed. Or you may hit your head on something and become an invalid and you're not able to think or process thought and and you're in a lost state. Then flesh has robbed you from the ability to be able to come to the presence of God and be saved. This is why that in every one of God's invitation to man, his appeal is urgent and presented in a present tense. Come now. Come now, let us reason together. This is why that God's invitation in Hebrews chapter three, listen to it, starting with verse seven through 19, which gives us an example of the result of Israel's procrastination in accepting God's promise. God states with urgency, listen to it. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, today if you will hear his voice. When are you gonna hear his voice? Today. Harden not your hearts as in the provocation, in the time, in the day of temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me and proved me for 40 years. 40 years they saw his miracles. 40 years they heard his beckoning call. 40 years they seen the signs and wonders. They seen the provision. They seen the love of God over and over and over. But then listen to verse 10. Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation and said, they do always err in the heart and they have not known my ways So I swear in my wrath, he says, they shall not enter into my rest. God says, for 40 years I've put up with this bunch. I've loved them. I've cared for them. I've nurtured them. I've I've protected them. I've shielded them. I've done everything. I've delivered them from Egypt. I've done it all. I've let manna fall in 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 the daytime. I let quail come in in the evening. I've overshadowed them with a cloud to protect them from the sun. I put a pillar of fire between them from the, at night to protect them from Pharaoh's army. I've done all of these wonderful things for them. And yet they resisted me. And they did not, some of them accept me. Listen to what he says in verse 15. He begins to repeat himself. While it is said, today if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. As in the day of the provocation. For some, when they did, when the, for, some, for some, when they had heard, did provoke. Howbeit not all that come out of Egypt with Moses. But with whom was he grieved for 40 years? Who was it that he was grieved with? He says, he answers it. Was it not with them that had sinned whose carcasses fell in the wilderness? They died in the wilderness. 
And to whom swear he that he should not enter into his rest, but it was to them that believe not. Who was it that didn't go into his rest to them that didn't believe? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Everyone that was delivered from Egypt did not get to go into the promised land, my friend. They did not get to go into Canaan because of a lack of prompt obedience and because of a result of unbelief. You know what procrastination is? It's nothing but a form of a lack of faith, which causes a rejection to a quick response to the Spirit's prompting. When the Spirit moves and you don't move with it, it means that you have a spirit of doubt. That means that you are not completely believing in what God is saying. If God speaks and you believe it, you know what you're going to do? You're going to act upon it just like that. A rejection, a procrastination is a sign of unbelief. This is why that Hebrews 11 and 1 says, now faith, not tomorrow's faith, but now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Faith in God demands a now response. A now response. If God speaks you to do something, honey, you better do it now. Don't put it off. This is why that King David in Psalms 32, when he's acknowledging his sin and he's repenting before God, listen to what David says in verse 6. For this shall everyone that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found. I like that. They're going to pray unto you when you may be found. Look at Isaiah 55 and 6. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call upon his name while he's near. I like what Isaiah 49 and 8 says. This saith the Lord, in an acceptable time have I heard thee, and in a day of salvation have I helped thee. Did you know there's times that God sets you up, and it is at that moment that God's willing and ready to help you. It's a gift of God. Amen? Now notice this. This is why that Paul said in 2 Corinthians 6 and 2. For he saith, I have heard thee in a time accepted, And in the day of salvation have I succored thee. And behold, now, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Do you not hear the words now, day of salvation, acceptable time? I can remember the times in my life before I gave my life to the Lord where I fought conviction and ran from it. Some of the most miserable days of my life. And I can also tell you there was a period of time as a teenage boy when God did not convict me. There was a period of time when I had hardened my heart to the point that God no longer was striving with me. But I can remember going to those parties in the earlier days of my teenage years and feeling the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And I just kept ignoring and overriding and finally that conviction left. And one night in my mom and dad's home as a young man sitting there I got concerned because as a little boy, I'd given my life to the Lord, and though I was in a backslidden state, I had enough understanding that, with that, that, that I was missing that fellowship, that, that, that conviction of the Holy Spirit. I got scared, and I began to pray, and I began to try to call out to him, and I wouldn't hear. God just purposely for a season just lifted himself from me. And all of a sudden, I went on search for God, and not knowing all along it was God giving me that response. But it ended up causing me at a young age, at the age of, uh, I don't know, 18 years old, coming in back to the Lord and giving my life to Jesus Christ. Can I tell you today, don't mess around with the conviction of the Holy Spirit. When God convicts you, obey him now. Can I have an amen? His promise is one of acceptance and forgiveness. I like this, that not only does he give an invitation, not only does he give a revelation, but he gives a promise. Invitation and uh, uh, a revelation without a promise, it brings, it's fear-based. You don't know what to expect. You don't know what to do. You remember Mephibosheth? 
who was the grandson of Saul. And David said, is there anybody in the house of Saul that I may bless? And they said, he's got a grandson. He's a fallen prince. He fell as a result of his fall. He's a cripple. And they said, David said, go get him. I want to bless him. But Mephibosheth didn't know what the king's intent was. And Mephibosheth had heard that David was sending people after him and he was to be brought before David. And he was afraid because, you know what? Every, you know, most kings was, would have uh, totally annihilated the, the lineage of Saul because Saul was at war with the lineage of David because Saul did not like David. He was jealous of David. And here's, king, here's Mephibosheth, a cripple, which is symbolic that you and I are crippled by sin. As a result of our fall, we become cripples. Amen? But there's a king called the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords named Jesus. And he's in search for us. And he sends his Holy Spirit to get us, to bring us to him, to we can have a meeting together. Hallelujah. And I love that. Aren't you glad to that? When you're out there and all of a sudden the Holy Spirit comes and says, hey, King Jesus wants to see you. Holy Spirit's sitting right there on the pew with somebody right now. Hey, King Jesus wants to have a meeting with you. Holy Spirit's saying, hey, there's an invitation for you to come before the throne of grace. But sometimes we're afraid because we don't know the intent. But I want you to understand, he gives you a promise. Come now, let us reason together. I love that. The word together in itself reveals kinship. It reveals relationship. It reveals fellowship. He hasn't given us a spirit of torment and fear, but he's given us a spirit of power and love and of a sound mind. He's already here this morning in this one word revealing to us his acceptance and his intent of receiving us unto himself. When that old crippled Mephibosheth gets to King David, he blesses him and kisses him and puts him up to his table and gives him meat and drink. And he, and he exalts him and he, he edifies Mephibosheth in the front of everybody around. And that's what God wants to do with us. I love John 6 and 37. It says, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And he that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast him out. Aren't you loving that promise? He not only accepts us, but he forgives us and he cleanses us. Though your sins be as scarlet, thou shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. I love what 1 John 1 and 9 says. If we'll confess our sin, he's faithful, he's just to forgive us of all of our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So many will not accept Jesus Christ. And you know, I had a little bit of a problem with it because I, thought, I can't live that life. There are many of us that want eternal life but because of our own carnal desires and our own carnal nature. We think, I don't want to be hypocritical about it. I, I just don't think I can live for him. But you see, it is Christ that makes the provision for us to live for him and the only one that gives us the ability and the assurance that we can live for him. Not only does he forgive us, folks, but he cleanses us, transforms us into a new creature, and now we can live for him, not because of what we have done, but because of what he's done on our behalf. He changes us. He renews us. He transforms us. He creates a new heart inside of us. I can remember when I came to the Lord, all the different vices that I had, the different problems that I had, and when I asked him to forgive me, a lot of those things instantaneously fell off. And then he gave me the grace to deal with them until I matured over them for a few years. But I thank God for the heart and the willingness of God to give me the heart to be able to live for him. In Ephesians 4 and 24, it says, And that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. I love 2 Corinthians 5 and 17. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, not only is the revelation 
And the invitation twofold, so also, so also is the promise. Listen to our text, I'm closing. If you be willing and obedient, you shall eat of the good of the land. If you be willing and obedient, you're going to eat of the good of the land. You know what God's intent for you is? John 10, 10. The thief cometh not but to kill, to steal, and destroy. Talk about the devil. But I've come to give you life and to give it to you more abundantly. If you're willing, are you willing? That's the key word, willing. Are you willing? Are you willing? If you be willing and obedient, then you shall eat of the good of the land. But listen to verse 20. But if you refuse and rebel, you will be devoured with a sword, which is representative of the word of God in this case, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Even though there are great and wonderful provisions offered on our behalf, there's a revelation, there's an invitation, there's a promise. Yet if we refuse it, ignore it, or neglect it, then the very word of God that delivers us will also be the very word of God that judges us and condemns us and destroys us. Hebrews 2 and 3 says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great of salvation? How are we going to escape the wrath of God if we neglect such a good plan of salvation? And what he was willing to do for you, he died on your behalf. It's this simple, and I'm going to close with these words. John 3, verse 16, 17, and 18. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God sent not a son to the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's God's intent. That's God's provision. That whosoever will, if they want to be saved, they can. They can have eternal life. Because he's not come to destroy the world. That's not his intent. His intent has come that you might be saved. But listen to verse 18 that we don't quote a lot. He that believeth is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is when the promise is rejected. They're condemned and they're destroyed. That ain't his intent. That ain't his desire. But the very word of God that is spoken to save us can also condemn us. He that has the Son has life. But he that don't have the Son don't have life. It's that simple. Now let me ask you the question. What are you going to do with this man called Jesus? You're going to accept him or reject him? Respond or ignore you going to partake or are you going to neglect? Would you stand with me, please? I want every saint praying right now. So vitally important. God put this whole, even the vision of the church, the direction the church is going, even in my studies of what I've been studying, he put all that on hold just to stop to minister to a handful of people today that need to know Christ. You've been coming and maybe this is your first time here and you don't know him. He's drawing you to this altar today. And if you'll just step out right now, I'm not going to hold long, but it is a now, it is a now invitation. Come now. While the Spirit's drawing, while the Spirit's wooing, while you have a chance, it's a gift of God. Don't trample under your feet the blood of Christ. Don't reject the wonderful goodness of God. Don't reject the salvation of Jesus Christ. Those of you that may not be saved, I'm here to help you today. Would you let this preacher just wrap his hands around you and be with you as we pray you through the way you can be saved in Jesus Christ, where you have the hope of eternal life. Right now, I beckon you. Would you pray, saints? There's conviction. I feel it. I could almost go put my hand on some people. Would you pray with me, please? I'm not going to linger long, but I'm asking you to come.
right now in Jesus' name. Step out. God set you up here. He, I know that you want to be saved. I know it. I feel it. Don't let fear or, well, look, at people may think. It don't matter what people think. We've all come to that place where we had to step out and walk to an altar. With every eye closed and every head bowed with no one even looking around, would you just admit to me today that you're the one that God's talking to? Would you raise your hand? Raise your hand. Thank you. Is there any others? Thank you. Any others? Why don't you come? Why you have the chance? Huh. God loves you and I love you. Oh, he loves you so much. Would you just come? Yes, come on. Come on. You, you moved. You shifted. Just come on to know the Lord. Hallelujah. In just a moment, we're going to be taking our communion. And as these ushers are passing out the communion, these altars are open. And if you need to come, we'll pray with you right down here where you're at. I'm not going to linger and take up all the time. It ain't my job to put the pressure on. It's the Holy Spirit's job. And God's here putting that pressure on you right now. And he loves you so much. Just obey his voice today. Ushers, if you would pass out the communion, please. Make sure everyone gets one. Take a moment of worship before we take communion.
the Apostle Paul writing to the book of Corinthians in chapter 11, starting with verse 20 says, when you come together therefore into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating every one taketh before others his own supper, one is hungry and the other is drunken. What? Have you not have houses to eat and to drink in? Or despise ye the church of God and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. For I received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. Now, first of all, here's the Apostle Paul, and he's dealing with a little bit of a problem in the Corinthian church where they were having a big party, and some would bring a lot of food, and some didn't have any to bring. Those that had a lot were eating and feasting and drinking in front of the others, wasn't really sharing. And those that didn't have any were staying hungry and was being neglected. And the Apostle Paul begins to say, you think this is communion? This is not communion with God. This is an unacceptable. He said, but I want you to know the same night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. In other words, I've got the proper way of doing communion. And he tells us what it is. When he had given thanks, he break it, talking about the bread, and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. After the sinner also took he the cup, when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye, as often as you drink it, in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread, drink this cup, you show the Lord's death until he comes. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat and drink this bread, eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily, shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself. So let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many even sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren... When you come together to eat, tarry one for another. And if any man hunger, let him eat at home, that you came not together unto condemnation. And the rest will I set in order when I come. Now here's the Apostle Paul. He's just telling us that, number one, let me just put it in, in plain English. He said, when you're taken of the communion of the Lord, it's serious business. Because that blood represents the blood of Jesus Christ that he shed on Calvary for the remission of sins. That was an agonizing death for you and I. That bread represents his broken body, his flesh that was torn and beaten with the cat of nine tails, 39 stripes on his back, thorns pierced his brow, a spear pierced his blessed side, nails in his hands, nails in his feet. His flesh was broken, it was pierced, and that's what that bread represents. And he said, when you come together, don't make it like a party. He said, when you break that bread, I want you to think of me and what I've done for you. When you drink that cup, I want you to understand what it is that's symbolic here and that what I've done for you at the cross. So as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you do show the Lord's death until he comes. You're showing honor and respect. And not only that, you're glorifying him for what he's done for you. It's not about a big party. It's not, if, that, if you're taking communion for the right reasons, it's to honor the Lord and that you love him, then you're doing it for the right reason. But also, just like I preached, if you're a sinner and you're not honoring the Lord's body by not committing your life to him, you don't need to be taking communion. 
it's a serious thing. You can if you repent here today and give your life to the Lord, but don't be repenting and then going right back out and committing the same sin. Or you'll be putting condemnation upon yourself. Amen? It's a serious thing. So let's examine ourselves for a minute and pray. Would you do that with me? Father, I pray over this congregation right now. I pray, Lord, as we take this cup in our hands, Father, in the name of Jesus, and we take this bread out, take the bread out, folks. Put it in your hand. And when you do, break it. That's a symbol that you're breaking. The bread is a symbol that your sin broke the body of Jesus Christ on the cross. It was your sin that caused him to be pierced. Break that bread. It's you breaking it. Symbolizing it was your sin that caused that to happen. But by you partaking of it, you're saying, even though it was my sin that broke his body, yet I receive his provision by taking his bread. Would you take his bread if you receive his position in salvation? Now take the cup. This cup is representing the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for the remission of sins. He shed it for you and I. Our sin's the one that nailed him there. But now as you take of this blood, you're showing that I am receiving the provision that you have made for me. Would you take of that cup? Now worship him. Hallelujah. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. This I say unto my people. I have shed my blood for you. I have broken my body with you. But be of good cheer because soon I will take communion with you for it is nigh at the door even my coming. I will come back to receive you to where I am there you may be also. And there in my Father's kingdom will I take this blessed communion with you again. For I am your Lord and your Master, your Savior. The one that has saved you was the one that will also keep you and sustain you. Look up, your redemption's drawing nigh. It's close, even at the door. For I'm awaiting for that event with anticipation and joy. For you are my prized possession, saith the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now giving praise in this house, folks. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What a wonderful move of the Holy Spirit. I love you today. I greet you today in Jesus' name. May the Lord go with you. May his face shine upon you. And may his protection be all around about you. In Christ's name.